Hello, and thank you for joining us for this first part of two podcasts focusing on policy. I'm Jasveer Andawa, and I'm joined by James Wood. We're both in the public law team here at HSF. We also have with us today Paul Butcher, who is our Director of Policy. The King's speech at the end of last year had many organisations and businesses pouring over the detail of the legislation proposed by the current government and thinking about how it might impact their industry or specifically their business. Inevitably, this year, thoughts are now turning to the general election and no doubt the manifestos, once published, will be equally scrutinised. Whatever field or sector you operate in, it's clear that new policy developments have the ability to seriously impact how you carry out your business, and they can cause really significant uncertainty. So with that background and context in mind, we thought we'd talk today about ways that businesses can be involved in the process, whether that be formally or informally, in an attempt to shape or influence how a policy develops and final decisions that are taken about its implementation. If that isn't successful and a policy goes through that has the potential to negatively impact your business, then you might have to think about challenging it. And that's something we'll be talking about in our next podcast. First things first, though, how do you even find out about potential new policies that might be coming down the line? James, do you want to kick us off? Then thanks, Jasmine, of course. So there really there are a range of ways that businesses can find out about new policies that might um, might be coming up, which might affect them. Um, one of the ways is to have a good working relationship with the relevant government departments or regulators, and that might mean that you have regular meetings um, or contact, direct contacts who can give you a heads up on policies that might be coming down the track. Um, at the more formal end of the spectrum, um, government departments and regulators can often publish annual plans, um, which set out their priorities for the future. And again, that can give you a good idea of the sorts of developments that you might expect um, going forwards. Um, similarly, there could be recommendations for reform put forward from other areas outside the relevant government departments. And by that, we have in mind things like the Law Commission, or NGOs, or particular expert bodies. Um, another, um, another way that you can find out about policies are um, policy statements by government departments and regulators themselves. So press statements um, and things like that, albeit those are sort of likely to come at a bit of a later stage when internal thinking is a bit more advanced. Um, at an earlier stage, um, manifestos are an obvious area to keep an eye on and something that Jazz has already mentioned. Although um, manifesto commitments can obviously vary uh, fairly widely in detail and timing. And then another thing to potentially think about is um, making freedom of information or environmental information requests of, um, of public bodies. And that could come up if you've got a particular idea of a topic that you think might be being considered, you could think about making a request. Um, but one thing to bear in mind there is that this can be seen as a fairly heavy-handed um, tactic. So if you've got a good relationship with the public body in question, um, it might be something to avoid. Thanks, James. So quite a few potential sources of information there. Paul, would you like to talk us through some informal ways perhaps to influence policy? Sure. Thanks, Jazz. So echoing point James is just making, um, having good working relationship with government departments and regulatory officials can be a great opportunity um, to get timely feedback um, put into policy development. 
And the earlier you can get that done, the better, because um, as things get internally consulted on and briefed to ministers, then you know serious inertial resistance um, to any change after that can develop. Um, and strong relationships with officials very much um, can be for mutual benefit, allowing open communication for advice and questions both ways for them finding out more about the industry and, and, and you finding out more about what their plans are. Making use of industry groups for intelligence, contacts and support, very useful. They can provide early warnings, coordinate feedback and roundtables and cons formal consultations. And they can add weight to issues of wider concern. It's of course harder if the issue is of little wider concern or indeed um, if it's divisive within the industry. Um, remember, of course, that um, to keep also good to keep an eye on what industry bodies are doing in case they're taking a line which is against your position, in which case you'll want to make it clear to the industry body that it is divisive. On the more political side, um, developing connections with ministers, political advisors, special advisors, or sometimes called SPADs for short, um, can also be helpful. Again, it's mutual benefit as with officials who, of course, you may end up um, talking to as a result of this um, in any event, um, but that might then come with ministerial backing to at least look into it more carefully or to reconsider something. Um, also important to remember that if you are actually someone that's representing a third party, in relation to discussions, then to bear in mind the Transparency of Lobbying Act when discussing policy, particularly with senior officials or ministers, because then you'd likely have to register. Unlike officials, um, SPADs can, of course, consider purely political arguments. So, for example, that the policy might threaten or encourage investment in a particular constituency. Officials will, though, be receptive to arguments that are sort of on the political spectrum, most obviously where there is alignment with government priorities. So, for example, um, in the last few years, if you could identify changes um, to policy which could be seen as benefits of, of Brexit, then I think it's fair to say both SPADs and officials would be very keen to hear from you. More generally, um, it's important to demonstrate that your position is in the public interest, um, you know, whether it's growth, environmental benefits, and so on. Or, um, sadly, as is often the case, um, that you're trying to at least mitigate the damage from a policy in relation to those things. Public affairs firms can also be very helpful, and they offer a wide range of different kinds of services, and they have different strengths. They can assist um, helping to identify and connect who the right officials and politicians may be who are interested in things um, and tailoring strategies to specific MPs or policy areas, um, including example, um, using polling. We found um, the House of Lords, because it, it often delves into details um, with real in, um, experts taking an interest, can be a good forum when you have an objectively strong case that needs reconsideration. But of course, um, it can be difficult to get cut through. Thanks, Paul. So lots of food for thought there. So let's turn now to some of the more formal ways to influence policy. And we're really thinking here about a public consultation process or um, a formal call for evidence. 
Before you start really thinking about the detail, it's worth just thinking about the shape of the process overall and how it's being run. Now, that assumes, of course, that there is a consultation process. So actually, perhaps you should take a further step back and think about whether the policymaker should have consulted if they didn't. When might that arise? Well, certainly if there's an express duty or even if they've made a promise or some sort of representation that they would consult or they would seek views and then in fact they just pressed ahead without doing so. Um, If you've got that sort of situation, it's definitely worth thinking about that and raising it. But assuming you do have a consultation process or a call for evidence, there are certain things that is worth checking before you get right into the substance. Firstly, are the right people being consulted or notified? So does everyone that needs to know about something know about it? What's the shape of the consultation document? Is it covering lots of alternative options for achieving the same policy goals? Or has the government advanced its thinking so that there's only really one firm proposal that's being put forward? Even if it is just one firm proposal being put forward, can you suggest alternatives anyway? That's often worth thinking about and don't necessarily discount that. Does the consultation document provide sufficient information? And by that, we really mean enough to allow you to provide an informed and meaningful response. So essentially, do you understand what's being proposed and why? So what is the problem that the government is trying to solve here and how are they intending to do it? Sometimes quite a vexed question is the question of how much time is enough to consider the proposals properly and put in your response. Now, this is difficult because it's very context specific. It's a little bit like asking how long is a piece of string. It will obviously depend on the length and the complexity of the consultation and the number of issues being put forward. And it needs to be balanced against the public authorities wish to just get on with things rather than being bogged down in endless consultation processes. But if it's something that's important to you and potentially has a significant impact, then you should make sure that you're being given sufficient time to really consider the proposals internally, but also to get any external input that you might need. So whether that's external experts putting in evidence or external advisors, for example. Sometimes something might come up just after a consultation deadline. What would you do in that situation? There can sometimes be some flexibility, but often it will depend on the reasons or the justification for being late to a deadline. Every process is different and it depends on the context, but it's worth thinking about when the process is going to end. So should you be asking for a reconsultation if there's been some material change of circumstances or new information has come to light during the consultation process? Or is it going to be one of the situations where a policymaker will publish all the consultation responses and then allow an opportunity for everybody to comment on each other's? So effectively, that might give you a second bite at the cherry. It's worth really trying to understand the shape of the process at the outset, because that helps you to maximise the opportunity that you have to have your say. And then you need to think about the actual job of responding to the consultation. So James, what are your top tips for approaching that? Thanks, Jazz. So one way to think about the consultation phase is that it's an opportunity to build up your evidence base. So you should think about what type of data or evidence, including expert evidence, you might need to back up your position on the new policy that's under consideration. Um, And ensuring that all of the necessary underlying information is included in your consultation response. So it gets in front of the decision maker when they're thinking about making their final decision on that policy. And that point is particularly important from a legal perspective because 
In a public law challenge, you often can't introduce new evidence in a challenge further down the line once a policy is finalised. Instead, what you need to do is to make sure that everything which is relevant and all of the data and evidence, etc., that supports your views is there at this really early stage of policy formulation. Um, because the chances are that if the decision goes against you, and if you end up having to challenge it in court, you'll essentially be relying on the material that was um, there in the consultation process and in front of the decision maker. And that, I, I guess that sounds as though I'm suggesting throwing the kitchen sink at a consultation um, response document. And in some cases, that really could be appropriate. But more generally, and more often, it does need to be more nuanced and strategic than that. And there will be lots of different considerations that, uh, that you need to balance and bear in mind, not least the time and costs involved in responding to a consultation. Um, one important point uh, to bear in mind, particularly if you see a potential legal challenge on the horizon, if a decision goes against you, is to make sure that what you submit in a consultation response is supported internally within your organisation and things like communications and PR strategies are all aligned. Otherwise, you get this really unhelpful um, danger of getting contradictory material coming out during any subsequent court process, which could really undermine both your credibility and also your substantive position um, on the policy in question. And what do you do about confidential and commercially sensitive material? Because that's often something that really concerns people and actually can put them off responding fully in a consultation process. You're right. It's, a, it's, a, um, it's an important and can be quite a difficult question because there's a dilemma and a, a tension between you do want, on the one hand, to put your best foot forward um, in a consultation response, and that might in particular include explaining why a policy would have a particular impact and a particular detrimental impact on your business. But ideally, you'd do so without disclosing anything that's confidential or commercially or market sensitive. Um, and this can be a really difficult course to navigate. And it's actually an area where sometimes having a dialogue with whoever is running the consultation might be worthwhile to try and find a workaround. For example, having versions that contain some confidential information only visible to the uh, decision maker. Um, and if this all sounds quite complicated and difficult, you might be thinking, why should you take part at all? Um, and obviously this does depend on how important the policy is to you, what impact it might have potentially on your business. But I really want to emphasize that taking part in a consultation is one of the best ways to influence policy um, in its formative stage. Things like pointing out practical difficulties, disproportionate impacts, unintended consequences, and other things along those lines are things that can often only come from inside an industry. Um, and time and time again, we see policies that are put forward being changed or even dropped completely when um, issues of that nature are put forward by consultees. And I guess more generally, you know, much like voting in a general election itself, a consultation is your chance to have your say, and it does make it much harder to complain afterwards if you didn't take that opportunity when it comes up. Thanks, James. I just wanted to touch on a recent public policy success that I was involved with, which I think provides a few relevant insights, both on the limits and the opportunities of consultations. So back in May 2021, 
the UK government consulted on a policy which, in our view, um, risked serious unintended damage to international engagement and investment, while also failing to achieve uh, what the government was hoping to achieve. We, we put in a response to that, um, pretty robust response, um, and the resulting draft legislation came out actually even worse than we'd anticipated. So on one level, the, res- the response was, was a failure, um, but it's not surprising really because we were suggesting that they effectively ripped the whole thing up and that was, that was always unlikely to happen. But more constructively, or, or um, the Law Society, um, who we flagged the issue to, in their submission, um, they put in in relation to protecting lawyers' interests, and they achieved that. And this this um, was one of the things that was reflected when the legislation came through. But how the um, consultation response did end up really helping us was that when the legislation came out, it was very late in the parliamentary process and there was very little time to do anything. But because we'd already done all of the the detailed work, we already had examples ready to go, we'd already spoken to people, we could immediately um, get a note out, put it together, put briefings together, and very quickly it got onto the front page of the Financial Times and we had um, expert Crossbench lords were interested and and putting forward arguments, which had strong opposition in the House of Lords. And the government then actually significantly revised the policy, um, which is an unusual situation. Um, During that process, we had good communication with civil servants who were also keen to understand our concerns. Um, And this was a rare a rare policy or change to legislation which came from just purely policy arguments rather than a political backdrop. And of course, the political backdrop we wouldn't have been able to do anything about and and would have been unhelpful. Um, So in that case, we were involved on our own behalf um, just speaking out, as we often do, um, to try to protect UK business um, competitiveness where we, um, we we see what we think of as damaging proposals. If um, anyone wants to see any background on, on that issue, which I can't go into detail in on this podcast, then just search foreign influence registration regime on our website. Thanks, Paul, and always good to finish on a win. So hopefully we've shown that there is a lot to be said for getting involved at the policy formulation stage having your say and trying to influence how a policy is finalised, really making sure that all the practical commercial implications are properly explained to the decision maker when they're trying to decide how to proceed. It is an important opportunity for businesses and it can have a real impact, often more so than trying to bring a challenge once a policy is actually final and in effect. So as we come into this period, leading up to and then following on from the general election, with the inevitable swathe of new policy announcements that we can expect, rather than having businesses feeling a bit powerless, standing on the sidelines and just waiting to see what's going to happen in their area, it's definitely worth putting some thought into how best you can influence what is going to happen in your sector in the future. Thank you very much to James and Paul for joining me today and to all of you for listening. As we said, do look out on our public law blog for the next podcast in which we'll focus on challenging policy.